Welcome to Global Data Pod. Uh, this is JP Morgan's podcast on uh, key issues on the global economy. I'm Nora Santivani, and today I'm joined by my colleagues Olya Borichevska, Jessica Murray, and Joe Lupton. So the topic of today's podcast is uh, is labor markets, and specifically, we are going to be getting into uh, gender-based analysis of labor market performance. Uh, you know, how have women fared compared to men uh, during the pandemic and 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 in the recovery? Uh, you know, before we. Uh, became consumed by the the tragic events in Ukraine. We did you know, fairly extensive work on labor markets. Olya has uh, recently published um, a piece looking at the dynamics in developed uh, market economies. Jessica has been looking at it from the more from the emerging market angle. Um, and then both Joe and I have written more extensively on labor markets more generally. Uh, with today also being International Women's Day, we thought this would be kind of nice timing to mark the occasion by uh, by discussing our recent research on this uh, this topic. So before we get into the uh, kind of gender aspect of this, uh, I'll, I'll just provide some brief context. So what we have been observing is a, a rapid tightening in labor markets across both uh, developed and emerging market economies. So labor markets are currently quite tight, but what we've also been arguing is that they are not fully healed uh, from the impact of the pandemic. And what we mean by this really is that uh, employment and labor force participation rates generally are still uh, depressed relative to where they were uh, before the pandemic for a number of countries. Now, the pandemic has also you know, put a spotlight on the narrative of, you know, unpaid labor, on the female burden of childcare. It's raised some concerns about potential longer term effects of the pandemic that could impact uh, female labor market performance over a longer uh, time horizon. You know, and, and the received wisdom really has been that women have been hit harder than men. So let me start uh, with you, Joe, just kind of focusing first on the situation in developed market economies. Uh, is this received wisdom true? Uh, that uh, uh, women have been hit more more than men, and and maybe how has the pandemic been different from you know prior downturns? Yeah, I, I mean it's interesting when when you say like has it um, has it been harder for for women than men uh, because you have to recognize that you know it's relative to past business cycle performance, right? So in some sense, you know uh, unemployment rates. Uh, spiked uh, for both men and women. Employment population ratios fell significantly for both men and women. Labor force participation rates also fell for both men and women. And I think to some extent on all three of those fronts, you could say, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the female performance was, was slightly uh, worse on, on all three accounts, but not by a lot. And so you might say, well, geez, why are you making a big deal about this? Uh, the reason it's a big deal is because relative to past downturns, this does not happen. This is kind of like more of a, you know, at least, a, you know, one or two sigma event from the normal pattern. And the normal pattern is uh, you tend to see unemployment rates rise a lot more for men during downturns. You tend to see employment uh, numbers fall a lot more for men than women. And you see even labor force participation fall uh, more for, for men than, than women. And when you fast forward to the pandemic, women not only kind of, you know, 
upped their uh, the the amplitude in terms of these things, but they actually even overshot a, a, a little bit, and that raised a lot of questions about you know what made this this uh, event different than 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 past events and then similarly it's raising questions about uh, i think as you put nicely up front what are some of the structural potentially structural implications of this if things do not kind of heal fully or heal in a way that's that's somewhat uh, different from from what we've seen in the past so that's kind of the the the, the state of of play of where we're at it's not that the female performance was was uh, you know particularly worse. It's just that relative to past performance, uh, you know, women really stood out in this downturn. Okay, yeah. Okay, so maybe then we can talk a bit about you know why the pandemic it has been different from from past downturns and why have uh, women been affected more uh, during the pandemic? So, Olya, what make what made the pandemic different in your in your view in the way it's affected uh, women versus men? Right. So there are a lot of ways you can look at this and try to answer the question. In our note, we focused on, um, rather than focusing on a lot of different policies and childcare, you know, all the structural stuff, we looked at sectoral performance. So services versus um, good sector activity. The reason for this is that is because women are four times more likely to be employed in a services sector job. So, um, looking at this, that was the you know the the downturn. The downturn's uniqueness is in that in the fact that services fell a lot more than uh, many, a lot more than services typically falls. For example, I'll just, I'll just compare results to great financial crisis. So manufacturing fell, manufacturing activity during the pandemic fell as much as during the GFC versus services fell four times as, as much. So in this simple way, it makes sense that women saw a larger hit. Okay, yeah, that, that, that makes sense. So, okay, so we, we, we've established the, the reasons for kind of the, the larger uh, hit to, um, you know, female labor market performance and, and that a lot of that is due to services and how services got affected uh, much more during the pandemic than, than past downturns. Uh, why don't we look at the, what happened during the recovery then? So can, can you talk a bit about how this, this gender gap has, has evolved and-, and sure what's happened during the, the recovery period. Sure, so most of our data are still through 3Q21. Um, so just keep that in mind. I will say right away that um, I personally was impressed with the recovery in that we saw women um, recover more. What do I mean by that? Women's labor force participation rate and employment to population rate ratio has recovered um, has seen a more complete recovery compared to men if we just measure it relative to pre-pandemic levels. Um, so, so isn't, isn't that though a counterintuitive result? Like you would have expected females to, you know, not perform so well given that services activity is still quite depressed. So how, how do you kind of explain that? Uh, you're right, services, activity is more depressed compared to manufacturing relative to its potential. And I'll say that the fact that women have seen a more complete recovery relative to pre-pandemic level than men is a statement of resiliency, but it's also a statement that 
sector activity is not the full story here. There are a lot of other things at play, which we did not go in this note to keep it you know, more manageable. I think one thing that also tempers it, uh, Nora, in, in tempers that sense of a, of a complete recovery. Um, and, and as Oya said, labor force participation rate essentially back to its pre-pandemic level, still depressed for men for what it's worth. Uh, you look at employment population ratio, and I'm speaking for the developed markets. Uh, you know, you look at employment population ratio, um, you know, down, still down about a percentage point relative to pre-pandemic levels for women, but down one and a half percentage point for men. And so that more than kind of reverse the, the uh, underperformance of women uh, during, during the, 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 the downturn related to services and so forth. You're 100% right, like services are still depressed so that, and as Olya said, it can't be the, the full reason. One thing that is going on behind the scenes is there are trend moves that we need to account for. We tend to look at pre-pandemic levels as our benchmark and it's very natural to look mm -hmm. at that, but you had a, a, a faster rising trend in, in, in female labor market performance before the pandemic. So, you know, one could argue that, you know, relative to those trends, women are, have not fully gotten back to, uh, you know, those old trend lines. Uh, and maybe there still is a bit of an underperformance reflecting some of these, these structural concerns or just reflecting the fact the services have not fully recovered yet. I will say a little caveat to that is we tried to do some crude trend adjustments in the piece and it didn't seem to really help explain the story, but I, I personally am not sold because I, I, I just I feel like I know there are some of these these structural impediments there. I know services are still depressed. I know women are far more represented in services than manufacturing. All of those things suggest that women should be seeing uh, you know some some underperformance uh, here relative to men, even if it's not fully in the, this kind of metric of where are you relative to pre-pandemic trends yet. Right. So maybe a, a final question for you, Olya and Joe, is so what you've described so far, these developments in terms of women being hit more than men in the downturn, but then kind of outperforming in the recovery, does that hold broadly across developed market economies? Are there any you know, countries that stand out or are different in, in the way uh, women have, have performed uh, during the pandemic? Any, any ones you want to highlight at the US, I think is always interesting. Um, either of you have sure. any thoughts on that? Yeah, um, I will say that the US is different. In a, um, the U.S. is different for, you know, for example, Joe mentioned, or we all mentioned that labor force participation rate has recovered to its pre-pandemic level for females. Um, that's true everywhere except the U.S. In fact, data in the U.S. that's available through February saw labor force participation rate for females fall. And now through February, female labor force participation rate has seen us, you know, less of a recovery than males. So the U.S. definitely stands out in this in this sense. And that that may reflect, you know, some of the nature of the U.S. labor market, which generally just has a lot less of the. And, and this is very DM focused. We're going to turn to Jessica on the EM in a second, but you know, across the DM, you know, clearly labor markets have various ranges of support 
programs and 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 I think just the general kind of welfare state structures are very different across countries and the US is probably a bit more on on one side of the spectrum there so I in that regard I think the that the US still you know really does kind of fit the mold of the you know the this being a, a unique experience for female labor market performance in a negative way. Um, you know that really fits for for the U.S. Uh, probably related to some of these these structural issues which we think are 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 uh, operating here. All right. So with that, Jessica, why don't I turn to you on on the emerging market uh, side of things? I mean, we know that. Emerging markets generally, you know, were hit hard by the pandemic. Uh, you know, actually, the downturn in EM wasn't that different from the downturn in DM. Where things in EM have uh, differed more notably is in terms of the recovery uh, stage. EMs have seen much less complete recoveries uh, than their DM uh, counterparts. Um, you know, in terms of GDP levels. Uh, how does all this translate into the labor market, and particularly how? You know, how does EM women's labor market experience differ from uh, that uh, described by Oli and Joe for developed market economies? Sure, thanks, Nora. Um, I suppose similar to the experience that Joe and Olya have described in DM, in EM, the COVID shock has also been more damaging to female labor uh, than previous downturns. So including the global financial crisis, this shock has been felt harder. On the way down in 2020, women have proportionately lost more jobs. They've dropped out of the labor force at higher rates than men in EM. So in the midst of the crisis, female labor markets were definitely hit hardest. Um, the main difference I would say between the EM and the DM is in the recovery. So women in EM are not outperforming men in EM in the way that women in DM are outperforming their male counterparts. So sort of to be clear in terms of the recovery, women in EM are underperforming uh, even though they were similarly hit hard in in the um in the midst of the shock okay and so you know what are some of the reasons that you think explain this underperformance in the recovery stage in in em right so we think there's probably a few contributing factors um it seems like a complex situation and it probably can't be explained by just one thing like Olya mentioned, we recognize that women were more exposed to the shock in the first case because of their overexposure to service sectors and because the COVID-19 shock, you know, uniquely affected service sectors. And women in EM, same as DM, are more likely to be working in service sectors than men are. But this, there's still sort of a piece of the puzzle missing because the share of women employed in services is actually higher in the DM than it is in the EM. So women are outperforming in DM, so it leaves us a bit of a puzzle there. So we sort of need to understand what's holding women back um, still despite this, this nuance. One suggestion is that in EM, um, remote working is less available to women in EM. And even in the service sectors where remote working would be less possible anyway, it's more likely in DM than it is in EM. So the, the sort of digital environment is more mature in DM. Women have more opportunities to, to work remotely, even in those sectors where remote working kind of you know, was less available anyway. Um, there's an IMF study that shows that the capacity for teleworking is associated with GDP per capita. So we see it associated with levels of development. So this is one factor. Um, another factor we're thinking about is the degree of labor informality and vulnerability in EM. So in many EM countries, and particularly the low and lower middle income countries, women are overrepresented in informal sectors. So India stands out here in terms of informality. Uh, and they're also more exposed to what's described as right. vulnerable 
employment. Um, so this is these two factors sort of mean women in EM are exposed to work which has lower pay and less robust social protections in the first place. And then in the in the midst of the crisis, they were probably more likely to be out of scope of official employment or income support. So this is more obvious at the start of the pandemic that this informal and vulnerable work uh, would have been hit pretty hard and that jobs were shed in the informal sector. I would say once the economies have reopened, the evidence is a little less clear that this informality has impeded women from resuming work. Um, you know, informal jobs can be maybe easier to come back to, but it can depend on the extent to which informal labor is included in, in uh, labor force surveys and so forth. So it's a little bit complex, I would mm -hmm. say, in the recovery phase, but informality was certainly um, a factor in, in, the, in the initial pandemic stage. Okay, and um, how about, you know, th there's been this whole narrative around homeschooling and lack of childcare being, um, you know, a pretty significant factor in explaining um, the, the greater hit to, to female um, employment. Did school closures play a role and in particular more extensive school closures in EM uh, versus DM? Can you talk a bit about that, whether you think that might be responsible for any of this? Yeah, absolutely. We think that school closures did have the potential to be quite significant in explaining the underperformance of women in EM. And we're thinking about this in the context of, we, of women in EM having a higher domestic, um, unpaid domestic and care burden than both men in EM and women in DM. And the fact that in some EM countries, the scope of um, formalised childcare is just more limited so formal childcare arrangements are more limited than they would be in the dm so that means parents and usually mothers are leaning on more informal networks uh, like extended family and the wider community to help ease the childcare burden but in the pandemic those options were severely limited by stay-at-home orders social distancing and so then on top of that you have some of the longest uh, periods of school closures actually happening in the em particularly in latam but also in india indonesia south africa so we think this will have exacerbated the domestic burden, um, which is already sort of disproportionate uh, that women in EM are facing and probably is reflecting their return to work. Right. So maybe a last question for you, uh, Jess. Uh, you know, I, it's hard to do a podcast uh, without talking about data, data sources. <laughs> um, so I know that some of the conclusions you've uh, highlighted for EM, they are based on you know, some estimates or projections rather than, than, than actual data. And so if you could just talk about, you know, a bit about the limitations in the data sources and, and you know, what that means for maybe the reliability of these um, conclusions that you've drawn. Absolutely right. So in EM, we face a challenge that not all countries are reporting sex disaggregated labor market data. So it means in some cases we can only observe labor market trends for the wider population, but we don't get to see the nuances between men and women. And those that are publishing sex disaggregated data may be doing so with quite long lags uh, or gaps in the time series, or they may have been publishing before COVID, but then suspended the surveys because of the pandemic, because uh, stats officers just didn't have the capacity to collect that data. So this means we're left with a sort of um, a fairly narrow sample of EM countries where we can assess the labor market dynamics through a gendered lens based off of national statistics. But clearly this is a topic we're interested in. Um, so we wanted to look for an alternative data source and we settled on data from the ILO, which is the International Labour Organization. The ILO are modeling uh, labour market indicators for a given country. 
they are incorporating um, national statistics where it's available and in most cases that would be up to 3q21 and then they use econometric models to fill in the gaps uh, where there are data gaps so this the output that we get from the ILO is therefore a, a set of internationally uh, comparable annual data which is pretty useful uh, to us given you know the constraints mm -hmm. that I mentioned and not only are they estimating the historical series, they are also providing projections through 2023. So this is what we've initially used to assess how women are expected to perform uh, in the coming years in the recovery stage. I would say that the caveat is that these are estimates and where they're based off limited actual data, there's obviously a high degree of uncertainty. But I think for the sake of allowing us to kind of uh, have an internationally uh, comparable set of data, it's very helpful. And then we can track um, we can track the, the country level data where it is available and see if the story is mapping out as, as these ILO uh, estimates suggest. Okay. Perfect, thank you. So um, maybe we can end here by uh, just zooming back out a little bit and uh, maybe considering, you know, the kind of near-term outlook for the global economy and labor markets, uh, you know, the war in Ukraine is clearly uh, forcing us to make significant changes to our global outlook, you know, big downward revisions to GDP growth, and obviously there is a relationship between GDP growth and uh, labor markets, unemployment rates in particular, that we're all uh, familiar with here. So, Joe, maybe you can address this question of how um, you know, these, you know, downgrades to global growth that we've been making, what that might mean for the labor market recovery that we've been expecting more generally, you know, the pandemic hit clearly we've discussed has had an adverse effect on women. How do you kind of see things panning out from here? Um, yeah, I mean, the, the, it's, it's still evolving. It's still very, very fluid. But if, I, if I'm to just look at what we've done so far to the outlook, which which feels uh, not enough, frankly, from my my humble global vantage point. Um, if you believe that, we we still have global GDP expanding three percent this year, uh, which is above potential, which means labor markets continue to tighten further. Um, and I would venture to say, in every country except Russia. Um, we have uh, every economy growing above potential in our global outlook. Um, that doesn't feel right to me. Um, and so things will have to change, I, I think, I'm, as my own humble view. Uh, but if you believe that, then as I said, labor markets continue to tighten, inflation pressures continue to build, and uh, you know, one of the kind of the, the running side notes is that, geez, imagine if our forecast is right, what that means for labor markets and wage pressures and inflation and what that's going to mean for, for central banks in a world where you're going to get this big inflation shock just from commodity prices alone and the risk to, to inflation expectations and so forth. Um, now, if you maybe mark to market what this shock is is really going to do and the, the, the surge that we're seeing inflation purchasing power hit, you know, then let's say we get more downgrades. And now we start to be talking about some slowing in the healing of, of, of labor markets, uh, not just from an employment rate standpoint, but on an employment population ratio and, and the healing necessary to, to get um, uh, participation rates back. Because let's, let's, be, let's remember an important part of the story as you started, Nora, you said, you know, 
what we had been noting is that labor markets are tight, but not, not necessarily strong in the sense that you don't have full healing on labor force participation rate. And the hope uh, is that, and you can see this in the summary of economic projections of the Fed, you can see in other central bank projections and even our own, is that strong growth brings people back into the labor market. So in a world where we get not only you know, trend, not uh, only just trend growth, but actually below trend growth and, and unemployment rates drift higher, what does that mean for the recovery of labor force participation? And it, it, it could mean longer term damage. And then you start to worry about these hysteresis type effects of, of lost human capital skills and so forth. Now, that's all big picture, everything. Now, just bringing it back to the point of this, this podcast, you know, it means to the extent that you have female labor market participation in, in a number of countries that are, are still kind of struggling here, it, you know, a lot in the, in the EM, uh, but also in the US, um, you know, that, that human capital shock, I think is something that you would, you would start, to, start to worry about a bit more. In terms of the shock itself, I, my, this is putting my kind of very macro hat on, I think it's gonna be more of a good sector shock. So it's actually probably gonna hurt men more than, it's gonna be more traditional. Uh, uh, it's not going to be that unique service sector shock that we had from the pandemic. But leaving that that point aside, I think it's the duration of of a, a failure to bring people back into the labor market for a sustained period of time uh, that you should you should really start to worry about what the what the damage to potential GDP is in the in the long run. Yeah, thanks for that, Joan. And obviously, there will be some potentially significant effects from the you know, impending refugee crisis and the millions of Ukrainians um, now entering uh, Central Eastern European economies for their labor markets, it could mean some easing of the, you know, labor market shortages going forward, but that's a whole- yeah, Absolutely, absolutely. Okay. I should I should have lost, there's no um, doubt that region is gonna be you know, severely European affected. Here, yeah, <laughs> that's a yeah, whole exactly. separate podcast, whole separate yeah. podcast. Okay, so I think we'll end on that note here. Uh, thanks everybody for, uh, the conversation. Thank you for listening to our audience and we look to continue the conversation on Global Data Plus. This communication is provided for information purposes only. Please refer to JP Morgan Research Reports related to its content for more information, including important disclosures. 2022 JP Morgan Chase and Company, all rights reserved. This episode was recorded in March 2022.